Why stand still when you can run headfirst into a wall? You're listening to the Jocular Pugilists. What is your big memory when it comes to MTV? Like, what was the thing that stood out? I was going to ask you the exact same question because you, unlike me, had MTV. You didn't have MTV? Yeah, I did not. Yeah. So, oh, that's sad. It's almost comical. <laughs> I grew up with a black and white TV until high school. Well, I'm not that old. I shouldn't have had a black and white TV. No one I knew had a black and white TV. We didn't even have a remote control. I remember my next door neighbor, who always seemed ancient to me. He must have been probably 70. He was retired. And I remember he had this old school 1960s remote for his TV. I don't know if you remember those. They had a clicking thing. Remote controls, by the way, were invented in our lifetime. I don't know about that. I think there might have been remote controls in the 60s. Okay, we were both wrong. But to be fair, Tomas was more right than me. Remote controls were actually invented in 1950. Maybe, but I remember my grandfather, I have a very vivid memory of him, like being so excited by his remote control. He thought it was the coolest okay. thing. And it, and it was. I was the remote control for my father. <laughs> Would he say click? And then you'd have to go turn the channel. <laughs> That's awesome. Click, <laughs> click, bitch. <laughs> Get up, walk over. I was also the antenna. Nice. You'd hold the antenna. Sometimes when you let go, the reception would immediately get worse. So you'd just stand there. Go get the (laughs) tinfoil. I can't see Magnum P.I. or whatever show we were watching at the time. MTV meant something completely different to you than it did to me. Yeah, that's why. When you were going to say it, I was cutting you off. But it's because like I, I have very vivid memories of MTV. But only because I would go to people's houses, much like your house, and we would watch MTV together. (laughs) Yeah. So what was your first memory? The money for, for some reason, the money for nothing video stands out. You know, it was Dire Straits with Sting. That one stands out. All the Michael Jackson ones. And and the VJs, who, by the way, they are all on Sirius XM doing like 80s shows now, which is really cool. But I remember I had a crush on Martha Quinn. They were such a big deal. And, you know, Carson Daly with TRL, which came a little bit later. But MTV was revolutionary back then. You know, it was really... And I, you know what else I remember? Pete Townsend saying, I want my MTV. America, demand your MTV. I want my MTV. I was like, whoa, Pete Townsend says he wants it. Then I'm in. I have vivid memories of it, and we didn't even have it. I shouldn't have had cable because I just was looking for naked girls. Bo Derek, I remember when 10 came out on cable. That was like a big deal. But, you know, here's the the thing that I found like super important. Like a video could make or break a band. Like, for example, the Chris Isaac song, that really um, famous, his really famous one, uh, Wicked Game. That song did nothing until they reshot the video and it was of him on the beach with the girl. And all of a sudden, the hu- that song shot up like into the top 10. So how you did your video on MTV could make or break whether you were going to be a, a music star. And it's not as if MTV created videos. Being a Who fan, we both saw the movie The Kids Are All Right. And within The Kids Are All Right, there are Who songs that they clearly made 
music films for. Oh yeah, um, the Beatles were the first had the first music videos. I mean, they had videos to advertise the band. They would send that music film. Yep, they're not playing. It's clear out, and they would play it on a TV show or whatever it is. So the idea of videos that had been around before MTV, but a a, a channel devoted to just showing music videos. I don't think anyone has the patience for that now. No, I I don't think so. It's sad. I mean, I, I don't even know if I do anymore. Like, it, it's funny yeah. that you say that because I think even our brains have been adjusted to like the faster pace of things. Absolutely. Everyone wants to do three, four things at the same time. So I remember that. I remember that video. I remember Mexican-American. Mexican-Americans don't like to just get into gang fights. They like flowers and music and white girls named Debbie too. I believe what Tomas was trying to say was Mexican Radio by Wall of Voodoo. But for some unexplainable reason, he mentioned Mexican-American by Cheech and Chong. Let's listen to Wall of Voodoo to get a better idea of what he was thinking. Right, where his face comes through the macaroni and beans or whatever the, it's the beat like the the pasta remember there's like a bowl of pasta and a face pokes through it yeah that was gross yeah the other big video that had a huge impact on me was sledgehammer peter gabriel yeah that was that came out later though that's later 80s i'm talking about first videos that was an amazing video was it late it was that was late 80s uh, I could look it up, but MTV is earlier, though, isn't it? Um, pro- probably, yeah. I think 1980 or 80. Yeah. So the first videos were kind of simple. They were. Yes, they were. <gasps> Remember, uh, bow wow wow. I want candy. Yeah. Pretty simple. <laughs> ask you this how did 80s fashion i know the answer to this but how did 80s fashion how did that affect you like what was your style did it affect you at all probably not because i had no style back then and i (laughs) clearly have no style now so my style has not been changed all that much (laughs) over time (laughs) no it has you know it's that's a good it affected me just because of whatever girls wore being a virile man or young man where they wore very tight pants which was fun for for guys they actually wore a lot of turtlenecks and the leggings, remember? So they weren't, there wasn't a lot of skin being shown back in the 80s. What did I wear? I wore jeans and a t shirt. I still wear jeans and a t shirt. Yeah. My uh, older brother used to make fun of me all the time because I had no sense of style in the 80s. I was wearing velour and, you know, like it was, it was just terrible. Black all the time. Velour. I was, I was big in the black. And denim, you know, denim jackets and, you know, that. I was in the 70s. I was a 70s guy in the 80s. Mm. But I do actually have, I did um, in high school finally get a little hip. I had a skinny tie and it was because I was dating this girl and we were all going out to a dance or something and, and I wanted to look like, you know, I belonged there. So I did buy the skinny tie, mm. but that was about as far as I went. That's as hip as you got. I had a moment where someone gave me I somehow got a white jacket. So I went from being completely (laughs) just a rock and roll 70s kid to trying to look like Don Johnson for like like a week. (laughs) I got made fun of. How'd that go for you? It didn't go well. It did not go well. (laughs) 
decided, yeah, I better not do this. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of Don Johnsons uh, running around in the 80s. It right. yeah, was not my luck. No, de- definitely not. But it worked for like Wham! And it worked for like Hall of Notes for a little while. They were all kind of ripped off the Don Johnson thing. It's funny, you said velour. Like, what happened to that? Who thought that's a great idea? Uh, I don't know, man. But I, I totally had, I remember I had these, they were like sweaters or I don't know what they, I don't know, they were V-neck. It, it was very, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I was going for. I did a lot of the ripping the sleeves off my shirts, you know, and ripping the collar off. That was the 80s metal thing. I guess so. You'd go to the head shop. Back in the day, it was the place that you would you could buy a bong, but you couldn't buy the weed. <laughs> for the rock and roll guys, you'd have the, the spiked bracelets, and you'd have the concert t-shirts, even if you didn't go to the concert. And I would go there and get my, my t-shirts. Yeah, I never understood that. The concert t- Getting a concert t-shirt... If you didn't go. And I think I did it. But when I, even when I bought them, I it was like, well, this is a little weak. Like I wasn't there, you know? You're a poser. That's a word from the 80s. A poser. I was a poser. <laughs> <laughs> That's gone away, that word. I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to start calling everyone posers. <laughs> nice. I'm bringing back solid Great. from the 70s. That's mine. That's my contribution. <laughs> well, okay, let's move on then to some of the other big events that happened in the 80s like people don't i think now people our age do remember but but the cold war i don't think this generation understands what that was really like what they understand it intellectually but not what it felt like Mm -hmm. and how big a deal it was when the berlin wall came down Mm -hmm. yeah and there was that movie. Do you remember that movie about nuclear war? It was like, oh, my God, I can, now I can't remember it. It's on the tip of my brain. And that movie was called The Day After. But it came out when we were in grade school. It was like the most terrifying thing. It was basically what would happen to the United States during, in the event of a nuclear war. Mm. And that was because we were still in an arms race with Russia. Right. No, and yeah, it was scary. It was scary. It was totally scary. We didn't know Russia. There was no empathy for the people that lived there. They were our enemies, and that's the way they we saw them in a in a really sad sense. Like it really took. Like there were musicians. I remember when Billy Joel went to Russia in the eighties. Uh-huh. That was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And Motley Crue, <laughs> Motley, Crue. <laughs> which, which great, great ambassadors there. For- <laughs> Say, for us to think, let's send Motley Crue as ambassadors of the United States. <laughs> Vince, what's his name? Vince Neal is going to set things that's like sending, that's That was like sending Dennis Rodman to North Korea. <laughs> he apparently got Good. along. Good. I know. Amazingly, it worked. You know, the interesting thing about people in Russia is that we had no idea how they lived and there was no humanity because we'd never seen them. We'd never talked to them. And there was... No way of seeing or talking to someone in Russia. That's the beauty about technology now is it brings everyone closer together and you realize we're all human beings. It's the same thing when we're Mm -hmm. talking about the 80s and MTV being so important to us. With social media, we can see everything about someone who's famous. So it's not really a big deal seeing them play a concert. It's more important seeing them cook their breakfast. People are sharing so much that – it's not special, but for us, mm-hmm. just seeing a video that was pre-recorded, it's like, wow, I get to f- see, visually see the artist that I listened to on the album. 
that was amazing. So we would watch it over and over and over again. And live music, I think, was such a bigger deal in the 80s. It's slowly been eroded. People still go to concerts, but there were so many more live rock clubs mm. and music clubs to go to back then. People would do that. You weren't going out to see DJs or just to listen to music yeah. you know, and drink beer. Well, beer, we've had some great times. You were going to events to watch bands. And there were great bands everywhere, even not famous bands like the, that were local bands. Like I remember, you know, in White Plains, there were like four or five clubs that you can go see live music. Everything seemed more special, but it's just like when you're really thirsty, a glass of water is fantastic. But when you're not, you'd rather have some wine or some soda or some something, something a little bit more tasty. I'm, we're, we're just satiated. There's just so much that it's hard to just sit down and, and, and really appreciate the little things in <laughs> right. life. Something that I thought of is that our parents grew up being in school in the 50s and in the 60s. Our parents were in school. And they probably, I didn't, and I'm sure you didn't, they probably went through that uh, period of time where they had to have these Cold War, these bombing drills where they had to hide under the desk or... Like getting under a desk was going to make a difference. Yeah, a <laughs> nuclear bomb. <laughs> I'm not sure that they were even comfortable with Russia in the 80s. We were more open-minded to it. Yeah. I think they still saw them as enemies. And it's funny because, you know, now we look at Russia differently than than we did. And if they do anything aggressive, we look at it differently, you know. Oh, absolutely. Not to get political. But, right. The Cold you know. War is technically over, but, but we still have nukes pointing at each other, don't we? So I think there's been like a slow disarmament. I think that's been part of the deal. Yeah. You know, you could say a lot of bad things and good things about Reagan, whatever. One of the good things you can say, I guess, is that he just outspent them to the point where they couldn't continue the war. So you brought up Reagan. That's a huge part of the 80s. I know that Carter was before Reagan, and I remember my parents being real fans of Carter, even though he's looked at as an ineffectual president. I remember Reagan being just the president. Like when I started becoming aware of politics, he's the first president I was really aware of. Yeah, me too. And uh, my dad was a big fan of his. And I do remember watching the debates. I was watching it with my family where he turned the tables on Jimmy Carter because Jimmy Carter was actually winning in the polls. Like he was, he was ahead until that famous television debate. And you Reagan. remember that. And yeah. And then, and then of course the Iran Contra, the uh, hostages, that whole negotiation. That was a big kind deal. of a, that I remember. Yeah, that was a big, I mean, but you're right because even culturally Reagan changed things like the United States in the seventies was very culturally liberal, obviously coming off the sixties and the seventies, it was party time. Then the eighties came along and, and things culturally went back to more a more conservative time mm. and because politically we were conservative but that's when they you know say no to drugs and this is your brain this is drugs this is your brain on drugs any questions and nancy reagan and it was odd because there was a there was this divide like a lot of things culturally went conservative and yet drugs like cocaine was huge in the 80s like it was this weird sort of divide 
where the kids were and the young people were partying their ass off, but the adults were more conservative, you know? I mean, which I guess happens all the time, but it was this different thing in the 80s. Yeah, but there was a big boom in the 80s. If you think of the 70s, the 70s produced a lot of amazing music, but there was a lot of turmoil, especially financial turmoil. You know, the stock market wasn't doing as well. Um, There's a huge inflation. There was the oil crisis. Yep. There was the 80s. It was it's a strange thing. Even when you look at the movies, there was a little bit of a dystopia feel to the movies of the late 60s and 1970s, starting with movies that I really like, like Planet of the Apes. Big time. That's kind of wacky, that movie. You know, and the music is really intense. That first movie was groundbreaking. But then it got really weird in the in the in the 70s some of the stuff. You know, the clothing was especially the, the guys going to work clothing, not the rock and roll guys clothing. Led Zeppelin looked cool as hell, but the guy going to work had lapels that were out to his shoulders and ugly suits. Yes, the leisure suits, the Lee, Lee Majors 6 million dollar man costume. Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better. Stronger. Faster. They look like shit, those suits. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. They look so sharp in the 50s and the 60s. Yeah. What happened to style and color? Orange and brown. You remember that? Everything was orange and brown. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> it's just like gross colors. <laughs> um, but that opened up to like the 80s when all of a sudden the stock market was doing well and people were making money hand over fist. Now, of course, I'm sure people were suffering in the 80s as well, but... The perception in TV and in the movies and in popular culture was that it wasn't. Well, there was a huge divide. I mean, basically, the tax code changed in a major way with Reagan. And again, not to get political, but the divide, mm-hmm. it, it created it created a huge divide in wealth. And that started then and has been continuing on, like where, you know, mm-hmm. um, the middle class kind of slowly slowly disappears you can say so that was reflected though you're 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 right it was like in everything there was this great sense of wealth in all all of the culture in the 80s and excess too yeah excess excess that's a perfect way to say it because there was it was this weird combination of conservative values and complete excess. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to before. Even the TV shows, think about it, like Magnum P.I. drove around a Ferrari. In the TV shows in the 70s, moving on up to the east side, they were a wealthy family. Yeah. Did they have a Ferrari? Magnum P.I. is just a P.I. How does he have a Ferrari? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone. <laughs> it was just excess everywhere. Um, yeah. The, the other thing to me of the 80s, that it was a big part of it. AIDS was a huge part of, oh, God, of yeah. the 80s. I, don't, I can't remember if Freddie Mercury died in the 80s or the early 90s. He probably died in the early 90s. I, th- he, I think he died in the early 90s, but we found out about it in the 80s. 
I think for a kid in Westchester, Freddie Mercury was also one of the first people to shine a light on how devastating AIDS was to everybody. Also, as you grew up and you became more sexually active, it was something that was in the back of your mind. This is a big deal. Oh, yeah. Man, that's a great point. Because before that, there wasn't a, a VD that could kill you. Right. Like AIDS was a venereal disease, essentially, I guess. So nobody was using condoms. Mm -hmm. The condom push really happened because of AIDS. Right. I mean, the condoms have been around forever, but that's when it was really yeah. hammered into people wear a condom. So that was a huge part of of, of the 80s for, for me. And also for me, for some reason, because I, I was really into space and Star Trek and Star Wars, um, the space shuttle was a big part of the 80s. And the Challenger explosion, of course, was a big deal. Oh, my God. Yeah. I remember thinking we've come so far to see what essentially looked like a plane on the back of a rocket just seems so futuristic. But it's funny. If you look at the SpaceX rockets now, they don't seem as futuristic. They look very much like a rocket looked like in the 60s, like closer to what the Saturn rockets look like than the space shuttle. I mean, you know, that's all null and void once you see one of those rockets, the yeah. SpaceX rockets, yeah. land. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. So we've only got a few minutes left. But the very last thing I think we should talk about is in the 80s, at the end of the 80s, well, was it the end of the 80s when we you went to Berkeley in 89, right? Yep. Okay. The, For me, 80s, you 90s. Yeah. So the very last thing is I, I, me visiting you at Berkeley. I was at another school. Mm -hmm. that I went to for, for a couple of years in upstate New York. And then I was looking at Berkeley to, to transfer. You were there. I wanted to you know, be in music. So I went to visit you. And I'll never forget, I went to a class with you. And the board had like staff lines, mm -hmm. like music staff lines on it. And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I'm like, you can go to a classroom and you're only talking about music? I don't understand this. It blew my mind. And actually, I might have been in high school when that, that was. Maybe I was getting ready to go to college. I don't remember. But I, I loved that. I thought that was- Just in case people have no idea what we're talking about, we should clarify what Berkeley we're talking about because there actually are a whole bunch of Berkeley colleges in the, uh, in the world, certainly in the United States. We're talking about Berkeley College of Music music in Boston, which was the first modern music school um, in the world, I believe. It was started in 1945 by this guy, Lawrence Burke, and the idea was he would teach jazz, which at that point was modern music, and famous jazz musicians would have a place to teach a little bit and make some money and hang out, and it eventually grew into Berkeley College of Music. And I think in the 70s or maybe even late 60s, it became a college, an accredited college. Um, there were other schools that came after Berkeley in the late 70s. I think North, North Texas and the University of Miami were soon after Berkeley. But in the world at that point, there really weren't a lot of music schools that you could get a degree in music. Now, of course, now, Every college gives a degree in music. You know, there isn't a college that doesn't have a degree in music. So it's not a big deal now. Berkeley isn't special anymore. Going to Berkeley, honestly, not to be a dick, it's not a big deal. Who cares? People go to a million colleges for music and get degrees in music. The only thing that's special is that it's Berkeley. So if you know about music, you have that name, if that's important to you, if that means anything. But when you were going and, and when we went, it was a big deal. We didn't have... I know, I'm going to be a little bit of an asshole. We didn't have an option. It was North Texas. It was Miami. 
And it, there was uh, GIT. Or, GIT um, in California, yeah. But that wasn't accredited. That was a, a, a vocational type of school. Right. Now, it's funny. I remember thinking of GIT because when I looked at Berkeley, I'm like, I read the, the, the teachers. I'm like, who are these people? I didn't know any of the teachers. And still, you don't really know many of the teachers. But when you looked at GIT, everyone was famous. You know, I remember thinking, um, I think Scott Henderson taught there at that point, And... Mm-hmm. Shucks, I mean, there was a lot, Joe DiOrio. Uh, Did he really just say shucks? You know, there was a, a real serious players taught at, you know, GIT. Um, and to, not that not serious players taught at Berkeley, they did, but they were teachers. They were professional teachers. They weren't professional players. They taught yeah. and probably played around and maybe did a tour here or there, but they weren't famous in their own right. But I could never convince my parents to send me to GIT because <laughs> it wasn't an accredited school. So um, I wound up at Berkeley because of yep. that. And I and I just followed you there. Right. I would have never even known about it had it not been for you looking and going. Yeah. But again, so, we didn't have options. It was either GIT, no. North Texas, or Miami. And for me, oh, so but by the way, I'm talking about modern music. Of course, there's Juilliard if you want to go to school for classical music. They didn't have a jazz yeah. program at the time. And there was Manus in New York, Manus and um, uh, Manhattan School of Music. And I had auditioned for classical guitar and gotten into a bunch of schools and started school uh, at at one of those schools, but I decided that I wanted to, and it wasn't Juilliard, um, I decided I wanted to switch to Berkeley and and pursue uh, modern music. But it was cool when you came up. I do remember that. And here ends, finally, our conversation about growing up in the 80s, because we are at the end of the decade now, and we are at the end of the show. So I hope you enjoyed our reminiscing over four episodes about our childhood and and what it was like and putting it in a little bit of context for you. We are the Jocular Pugilists. You can find us on our website, thejocularpugilists.com. You can find us on Facebook, the Jocular Pugilists. And Tomas, I enjoyed this, but as always, uh, I love to hate you. And I hate to love you. See you next time. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South 